G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey and welcome to I'm Loving Your Word. Today on the show, we've got Eddie Hale. Eddie's a mate of mine who has a website design business, but he also manages to balance that with being an internationally renowned techno producer and DJ. Eddie's a great example of someone who's been able to follow his passion and turn it into a legitimate pursuit. I hope you enjoy my chat with Eddie Hale. Eddie, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, no worries at all. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries at all. Like I've, I've really been looking forward to this for a little while and uh, we've uh, had a bit of contact uh, contact kind of socially and professionally in the past and yeah, obviously I suppose coming from, from similar-ish backgrounds sort of down kind of Geelong way as well. So um, Eddie, uh, I suppose if you could start just telling us a little bit about, about what you do. Yeah, mate. So at the moment I have a sort of mix of careers, one pays the bills a bit more and one's more of a passion but hopefully uh, that will eventually get to the point where it will sort of substantially put towards my income but I'm a designer, uh, multimedia and and graphic design and I've been doing that uh, since about 2010 and yeah I really enjoy it and I'm a freelancer at the moment so I've been doing that for a couple of years and before that I was working in sort of technology and software um, in that same field, yeah. yeah. Well, obviously, like that's a that's a fairly sort of new a, a new field that wouldn't necessarily have been there, say even you know twenty thirty years ago, sort of thing. So, one question I always like to sort of ask early on the podcast is, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grow up? When I was a kid, I was probably two things I wanted to be. One was a fighter jet pilot, yeah. and the other one was the musician. So the musician part I still pursue quite quite a lot. So awesome! Um, nice to see one of those things sort of kept with me, but unfortunately the fighter jet thing uh, disappeared many moons ago. <laughs> and uh, and so in terms of like wanting to be a musician, sort of thing, was that did you sort of think uh, that you wanted to be sort of a producer from way back, or or was that more in terms of like playing kind of more traditional musical instruments and then sort of made the the switch to kind of techno later on yeah sure so um i guess early days you know i was always learning instruments growing up mum and dad really like pushed me to you know learn piano and learn guitar never saw myself as a producer i certainly didn't listen to techno when i was younger but i was into you know jazz and rock and many other sorts of styles and genres but sort of when i finished school and went to uni always wanted to still pursue music and i i think being exposed to sort of techno parties and stuff i suddenly had this new interest and I guess because I never considered myself a super talented guitarist or piano player, I never really thought myself as competitive to you know, play in a band at a professional level, but I saw this entryway into you know, production and DJing, which you know, is really exciting and it took me down a totally different path, which I, um, I'm still doing it now, you know, many years later. And so you went to school uh, down at Geelong Grammar. Yep. Uh, and so were you sort of involved in, in sort of music programs through through school that way? Yeah, definitely. Um, actually, it's probably one of the best things that school does is their jazz program is, you know, world class. And they I, I'm not sure if they've still got the same teacher they did back then, but this guy, Paul Retke, was just, you know, he had such a passion and, and drive for music and to push students um, to a really high standard. 
And so I st- ended up studying that in year 12 as part of my VCE, which was jazz performance back then. And if it wasn't for that pushing me to know a lot more about the theory and music and pushing me to really perform at a higher level, uh, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. So, yeah. you know, that intro, you know, those early day sort of things shaped, you know, a bit of what I'm doing now. Yeah, that's awesome. I suppose uh, one thing that uh, potentially the, uh, the uninitiated in the whole, I suppose, techno scene uh, could potentially be led to think at times is that maybe it is a little less, I suppose, there's a bit sort of less legitimacy in terms of the musical side of things, but it sounds like you obviously had sort of quite a, uh, <laughs> an extensive background in sort of like music in itself. So I suppose what I, what I wonder what there is, how did uh, or how does that sort of background, that more traditional background, you talk about jazz and that sort of thing, how does that sort of inform what you do now, even though it is such a sort of, I suppose, different style to, to what it would have been back then in terms of playing jazz? Yeah, absolutely. Do you know, especially if you don't, have a lot of exposure to techno and the sort of techno I write is it's not the stuff you hear on the radio there's a lot more depth to it and I guess coming into that field you know and I guess that's why when I was growing up I didn't listen to techno because I'd never been exposed to you know what I consider now to be the real techno which has sort of been commercialized and you end up hearing the uh, you know I think a lot of the commercial stuff um doesn't really represent what it is yeah, and sure. a lot of people in what way yeah well, well you know people go oh techno it's just that repetitive dung, 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 but it's actually a really technical music form you have to really listen to a lot of it to understand the it's there's a lot of uh, nuances in sure. the music so it, it's a totally different concept of music and 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 people when they aren't used to it they just look at it as this compa- uh, you know repetitive drum beat and there's nothing really technical to it and I guess my grounding in like learning guitar and piano and and um, the theory and music has really helped you know as a producer you're not just sitting behind a mixing desk or whatever especially when you're creating techno records you're actually the the artist the producer the mixer you do the, all the jobs so you've got to be creative and technical and without that sort of grounding from what I learned in school and, you know, from other mentors, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, yeah, it's interesting that you talk about that because uh, I suppose looking, looking at some of your music and sort of listening to a bit of it and that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> one thing that, that really sort of stood out to me a little bit was, um, was sort of some of the names for your tunes. So okay. obviously, like, sort of a, a lot of it is, is sort of lyricless yeah. stuff, but like, I'll run through a few of the song names here. So we've got sort of like Xanthite, Ionosphere, Enigma, uh, Halical, Radon, Thylacine, Cadmium, Heliosphere. So it's sort of like there's almost this real sort of like elemental kind of quality to it, almost ethereal sort of at times in terms of like yeah, the names yeah, or whatever. Yeah. So I suppose my question there is uh, how do you go about sort of naming a song? And is it sort of something that you think kind of before, say, writing a song that you want to sort of purvey a uh, a certain kind of notion or a certain type of emotion or, or quality that way or, or is it sort of something that that sort of comes a little bit later on that you sort of recognize hold on that there is maybe I suppose this quality or this message sort of in, in this sure so 
the thing with the sort of style of techno that I'm making is I consider it like futuristic music. So when I'm creating it, you know, if I'm not feeling emotional about something that's happening in my life, which is often a starting point for writing, I'm sort of letting my mind wander and, you know, I'm a massive science fiction nerd, um, <laughs> have always been. And uh, I guess that's some of those sorts of things, you know, like science fiction movies, you know, science fiction art, they all inspire me to write these things. And a lot of those names are, you know, either, you know, minerals or um, scientific names for things. Um, I try and find a lot of um, names from even looking up, you know, space terms and trying to find something that sounds a bit interesting. And, you know, the whole point is that, the music I write, I write is to, you know, get people thinking differently and taking their mind somewhere else to inspire them, you know. So, yeah, most of the names I come up with are these sort of techie, sort of sciencey words, you know. Absolutely. And, and so now let, let's get sort of, I suppose, into the more, I suppose, pragmatics of, of the journey sort yeah. of uh, uh, through time there. So yeah. I've spoken a bit about sort of school and that sort of thing and, and moving into kind of the techno scene as you kind of went to, you know, parties and started listening to a bit yep. more of that music. Yep. But I suppose how did it sort of, I suppose, come to be that, that this was potentially going to be something that was that was a, a more genuine pursuit and something that's, you know, going to be potentially sort of viable to, to be a career sort of into the future. How, how did that sort of, yeah, I suppose, come to be? I guess I started uh, really getting into electronic music and not just, you know, DJing and writing music in my bedroom. Probably when I was, you know, just finished high school when I was the first degree that I dropped out of, I was studying business back then. It was just, it wasn't really interesting to me and I was trying to find something that inspired me. And I guess after going to these techno parties, I was like, man, I, I love this music so much. I, you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to do what these guys are doing, DJing, you know. So um, somehow I convinced my dad to give me enough money to purchase some decks, <laughs> you know, because they're not cheap and... and I think he, he saw, you know, he always saw that I was passionate about music and yeah. wanted to encourage that. So that's really what sort of kicked it off. And um, yeah, I guess uh, it's hard because music, a lot of people don't see it as a real career. And that goes with a lot of sort of the arts. And it took me years and years to believe in myself that I could, you know, have a go at it. And, and I think the key thing I learned was that consistency and hard work and that goes across not just my music it probably taught me some lessons for what I do with my design career you know and you know all that consistency and hard work and being professional and and taking it you know I look at music and I go I treat it just as I do my design work you know I'm professional when I'm out networking with people you know I spend those hours each week you know I make sure I'm in the studio at least you know three nights a week and a little bit of time on the weekend you've got that designated time where you sit down and you're like, I'm going to grind some time out you know and, and perfect my art mm. and yeah it didn't you know eventually as I started getting more gigs and you know you start to see your name at the top of the flyer rather than the <laughs> bottom of the flyer I think that was a big validation that hard work that I'd put in yeah absolutely and um, so some of the record labels that you're involved with, we've got like KMS in, in Detroit, uh, Flash Records in Berlin, but so you've got 
uh, record labels from sort of America, Germany, Switzerland, Holland, uh, so all over the place sort of thing. So how does that come about? Like you sort of hear, uh, uh, hear of sort of Holland being a bit of a, I suppose, epicenter for electronic music in many ways. Yep, and yep. how do you sort of, uh, I suppose, break into those kind of centers? It's really difficult, actually, um, because there's so many people out there making music now. You know, the internet made um, the whole process of, you know, getting your music heard by other people much easier. You know, you can, as soon as you could start emailing people, streaming links of your work and not actually having to physically go to that country, you know, it makes it a lot easier. But it was also, because there's so many people, it's a lot harder. There's so much competition. And what I found was uh, basically, I've, I guess I've spent a bit of time traveling in Europe and making um, those connections with other artists. And I think it's especially important to make connections with people who are more senior. And it doesn't matter if it's in music or what, but people that are more senior in what you're interested in doing, who can guide you a bit and mentor you a bit. And also, you know, those people are going to be able to connect you with other people. And so I guess that's how it all started. And, you know, with my first little release, that was through a friends of people I knew. And once you've got one little, you know, reference on your so-called resume, <laughs> you know, you can send music to other bigger labels and it sort of works like that. As you progress, you also, you know, can progress with the labels that you're signing to. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so... In, in terms of, I suppose, how you kind of spend your time and you talk about uh, wanting to sort of pursue this, yep. I suppose, longer term and yep. uh, in a, uh, I suppose, a, a way that takes up, you know, as, as much of your time as possible. Yep. So how do you balance now how much time you do spend on the business that you do have and how much time you sort of spend on music and, and wanting to, yeah, obviously create and sort of pursue that? It, it doesn't necessarily sort of sound to me like you sort of describe it as a hobby, sort of as such. Yeah. Um, we're having a little bit of a, a chat about uh, sort of off air, uh, about having to hit a golf sort of thing. We both play a bit of golf. And yep. yeah, it's, it's, you know, you talk about, oh, you know, you have a shocking day on the golf of course all this sort of stuff and yeah but you, you speak about it with I suppose a lot more legitimacy than that so how yeah I suppose how do you balance the two pursuits that you do have sure so it often comes down to being able to pay the bills music doesn't always pay the bills I guess there's two roads you can go down with right in music you can completely follow it by itself and you know that's the name of the struggling artist that you always hear about, right? Where they, you know, they might be getting assistance from the government or they might be working, you know, a base level job in whatever they can get to support it. But I decided that I didn't want to go down that road and I wanted to have a little bit of security and take a little bit longer to perfect what I do. So, you know, that's why I studied and got into design because it's still a creative thing and it works really well in um, synergy with my music right For so sure. you know especially I'm not always feeling inspired with music or I'm not always feeling inspired with design and sometimes I just need to go okay I need to put this down and work on something else or go out and have a hit of golf with my mates or you know whatever it is but I guess if I could do music full-time I would but it's just not that stage yet you know and I think most guys or girls that get into you know they want to pursue music as a career it's really good to have a grounding in something else because not everyone can make money out of it and those who do 
you know, they're not always making enough to survive. So I think the slow journey is a good one, you know, and being consistent. Yeah. As you speak about that sort of synergy there, I can absolutely sort of understand that. And and uh, even sort of in terms of owning your own business and then sort of approaching your music career in a more, I suppose, business-like manner, there was something that you said there that sort of reminded me of something that I heard recently, which I thought was really interesting, but I suppose you sort of get an insight into this sort of stuff almost ahead of time with music. But he sort of said, you know, with the, I suppose, digital age, it's so much easier to get your music out there in terms of just emailing it to someone. And someone used this sort of example the other day that sort of talking about, for example, like supply and demand and that sort of thing. And one thing that sort of changed kind of early on in the music industry, and I think sort of many other kind of businesses and industries are following, following down this path, is that not having to, for example, print CDs anymore or cassettes tapes or you know you can you've got a track and then you can just sort of replicate that and replicate that and so it, it sort of changes up the kind of dynamic in terms of supply and demand because when there's an unlimited supply sort of what does that sort of do about the demand so uh, yeah as I say it's, this sort of yeah it's a it's a double-edged sword you know because yeah. what happens is music is so accessible and you know like everyone's downloading illegally and you know <laughs> Even streaming and selling MP3s online, um, it's in a way it's sort of devalued buying music, and I don't have a massive problem with it anyway because I've never made significant money from selling my music. I like it because it makes it more accessible. People in countries you've never been to can hear music, and I think that's just awesome. You know, like if you were just doing a run of CDs or vinyl or tape or whatever it is, you know, like being an independent artist, they are only small runs anyway. Like a record label generally only sells like, you know, up to 500 records and that's like a limited pressing and that's pretty yeah, standard. Okay. So when you go on MP3, much, much more people, um, especially people who don't have the money maybe to afford to, you know, purchase music, have that access to it and so that's great for me because it you know increases my following all around the world and I'm not just this little guy in Australia anymore you know people you know from Tunisia or yeah. Russia or Germany or you know Detroit are all have access to it and I think that's really cool and hopefully one day that will equate to more gigs overseas in those countries you know so that's what really powers and pays for what I do is is the gigs you know yeah, yeah absolutely and so yeah so you sort of touched on a little bit there but how, how do you I suppose you work out your business model with your music in terms of what to sort of give and what to sell and yeah you know I suppose uh, I imagine there'd be uh, sort of I suppose, dilemmas about sort of how secure you try and make your music and how sort of exclusive to people have paid uh, yep. people who have paid in order to be able to sort of get the most out of it for yourself so how do you I suppose balance those two dynamics in terms of wanting to create an audience and and be accessible to as many people as possible but as you say it's it's a it's a it's a genuine pursuit and it's sort of something that you want to sort of make your livelihood out of yeah sure so I guess you've always got to be careful with what you're signing on the paper when it comes to releasing with labels. There's always going to be those labels who are not looking out for your best interests. They're you know, looking out for yourselves. But generally, you know, especially in the dance music community internationally, it's a real family. And at some point or another, everyone's connected a little bit. And so in itself that levels it out it's you know you tend to 
the people who are doing the wrong thing tend to stick out like a little bit and, sure. and, and people learn eventually and word gets around. I guess selling music's not what makes the money for me. It's like a calling card or it's like a marketing platform. Sure. It's a way of, you know, I guess I invest my time in it, but uh, the time that I invest in, you know, releasing those records um, allows me to play gigs by um, those tracks are sort of picked up by club promoters and it's the way, you know, it's how they promote me. So that's really the selling point. So you create the music, the music creates the gigs and the gigs are what pays the bills. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And how, uh, I suppose, how, how have you found the industry in terms of, I suppose, being, being someone who kind of grew up with music and would have had a bit of an idea about what it would be like to sort of pursue that area. Yeah. Um, obviously, I potentially being in nightclubs is a little bit different to sort of <laughs> <laughs> being in kind of jazz bars and that sort of thing. Sure. Um, but yeah, I suppose, how have you found it in terms of, yeah, I suppose li- living the dream in, in a little bit of a sense that way? Um, it's a lifestyle choice for sure. And it's, I love being around creative people and artists and it's something I don't get as much being, you know, through my design business is, you know, I'm dealing more with corporate culture. Sure. And there's a lot of rules about how you can present yourself and how you communicate with other people. And as much as that's great, I lo- I, I'm a sucker for freedom <laughs> and expressing myself without feeling judged. And that's what I love about the music industry because it's full of you know, a real eclectic bunch of people, you know, everyone from the, the people that just go out to dance and, and um, consume the music through to the other, you know, DJs and producers and artists and promoters and the people that do like the decor and the, there's, you know, so many different people that work in the industry, but they're all really unique, funny people. Mm. And it's a bit like the Wild West, you know, as much as the music industry is solidifying a lot more in electronic music, it's becoming a lot more corporate and business based. There's still that real craziness and artistic uh, attitude and it just makes it really exciting and fun. Um, So that's what I think drives me as well as, you know, apart from the fact that I love the music, I love the people that are in it because they're just so interesting yeah yeah and is that sort of is that something that you find i suppose kind of universal in terms of all the interactions that you have with all these people from different countries i suppose is there something sort of common to everyone that everyone sort of taps into together or does every sort of country and culture have their own sort of interpretation on that or yeah i suppose how would you describe that musically i think while i like electronic music especially the stuff without any words is it's like a universal language. For sure. You can have this track that you like and you can plonk it in any other country in the world and people still understand it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, there's no... Because there's no language barriers, right? Um, so you, you can go to a techno warehouse party or something, you know, whatever it is in any other country in the world and people are on the same page, you know? And I think it's good because it's a unifying... Um, platform for people i think if there was more music in the world people would get along better you know and yeah that's it's just it's so nice to see like you know i've, I've played in a few other countries before and, and other cities in australia and stuff and you hang in end up hanging out with complete strangers and yeah. then by the end of the day or at night or whatever it is 
you connect and you have real friends for life. So, you know, I think that's one of the great things that music brings to this world. Yeah, I, I think for sure. I uh, heard an interview with uh, Rowan Atkinson recently, okay. uh, the actor, and um, he's talking about his character, Mr. Bean, and, and sort of how that came about. And one of the things that he said about it, um, which I found really interesting, was um, he was sort of wondering why, you know, for example, musicians put out, put out a, a piece of music and, and they're not necessarily thinking about sort of a specific country that it's going to and, and I saw I suppose some of the, the bigger ones anyway but he, he was sort of wondering why it was sort of different with comedians in the sense that there's always got to be sort of cultural nuances that you sort of need to be able to I suppose work your way around to, to make it still funny but the thing that um that yeah that he really I suppose liked about music that way was just able to kind of think look I want to put this out there for everyone it's not necessarily you're not you're not limiting yourself to a group of people that way yeah sure I guess I can't talk for comedians because I don't, I'm yeah. not a comedian, <laughs> sure. but I guess like, you know, you look at comedy and it's like a narrative and it's a bit like looking in the mirror of your culture. Yeah. While there's still that in music, like, you know, for music, it's a reflection of emotions. Sure. But it's without a written narrative. So it's, it, you know, for me, music is... You know, if I'm feeling happy, I write something that I'm feeling happy about and it's, you know, it might be some major sort of scales and if I'm sad, I might be writing something with minor scales and it taps into like that very essence of how you're feeling and there's, no, it's, yeah, I guess music is like the purest form of expression, you know, so, Absolutely, yeah. so yeah, that's why I think I love it so much because it's, it's translatable into every language that humans can understand. For sure. Yeah. And it's actually, it's one of the reasons that I sort of, I suppose, like kind of electronic music as well is that yeah. you can have sort of two people sitting side by side, you know, equidistant from the speakers and they can have like quite a different sort of interpretation to them about sort yeah. of what that piece of music is about. Yeah, totally. So I suppose, have you had any reactions to your music that surprised you in any way? Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, I... Uh, talking to a friend of mine who's a producer not that long ago and I can't remember if it was one of my tracks or someone else's and he said oh you know it's such a sad track and I looked in and I said really <laughs> I, I, did, I, thought, I was sort of getting a happy vibe from it you know it's just yeah it's some people hear and I, I guess with music I mean what the artist created might not have been might not in a way translate to a way that means the same thing for someone else and that's really cool you know like I, I look at a lot of my music that I've written and especially when I'm listening to it with other people some of the I guess faster paced stuff sometimes makes me feel a little bit like uncomfortable because I'm I'm not I'm thinking like how is this affecting other people like is it too fast paced for just a sitting environment where we're yeah. just chatting or having a few beers or whatever or is it more suited for a dance floor or do you know what I mean so yeah. these things are always going through my mind and I think that's what yeah another thing that makes um it's so interesting is yeah the totally different perceptions that you know art can have on people absolutely yeah. and with sort of your sort of, well, I suppose with music in general, you can listen to something multiple times and sort of, again, it sort of builds on you and you hear different things as it goes along and, you know, yeah, the, the 10th time you hear something might be very sort of different to the first time that you hear it. Yeah. With your music, it's like it is, as you say, it, it is really sort of nuanced and, and layered that yeah. way too and there is sort of, yeah, there is real depth to it that way. So 
But even as the artist, do you sort of find that as time, a song will sort of evolve on you in many ways that way as well as it would to someone who, who, who obviously didn't write it and is just listening to it? Oh, yeah. I mean, perspective is such a funny thing, you know. I've listened to some tracks that I'm working on, you know, for days on end. You know, you're listening to just little sections of it even. By the end of it, I can't listen to it anymore. Like, I'm just, you know... I. I go, I don't enjoy it anymore because mm. I've, I've done it to death. And then, you know, I might hear a track that I wrote like five years ago and I'd be like, oh, <laughs> I actually really like this track. And I, you know, just because you haven't listened to it for so long, you, you see it through fresh eyes or, yeah. or fresh ears you hear it through. And, you know, some of the fa- my favorite albums that I've ever bought, right, like, you know, I've, I've listened to them like once or twice and then suddenly something clicks in it and I'm like, Oh, this is much cooler than I originally like thought on my first pers- uh, my first yeah. listen. You know, I'm sure you've gone through the same thing. Sure. You know, yeah. Um, like and- Flume, for example, is someone who like you listen to him five times and you get five different songs sort of thing out of yeah, it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming you're a fan, and, and yeah, it probably sure, yeah. has grown on you and then changed over time and the way you hear things. It's even like. I guess we go into lyrics now, but if you listen to lyrics of a song, you know, I listen to stuff that I, you know, maybe listen to as a kid, like um, this Pink Floyd, The Wall album. Yeah. And as a kid, it didn't really make sense to me. I just thought it was all innocent stuff, but you listen to it years later and there's so much more to it and you get a totally different, you're like confronted by all this really deep and dark stuff that the singer's talking about and you're just like, I can't believe... This is the same, you know, Absolutely. band I was listening yeah. to like yeah. 20, 30 years ago, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I particularly find it as well, like, as you say, sort of with albums and stuff, is yeah. getting to the age where you sort of realise, and it potentially sort of happens less so in sort of the, the kind of commercial, I suppose, mainstream, for lack of a better term, yeah. sort of music industry that way, but we're going from the stage of listening to sort of tracks isolated and thinking, gee, they're a good bunch of songs, and then you listen to sort of the album as the album. Yeah. So, yeah, I suppose, do you... So you have released an album, uh, album, Echoes from a Hidden Silence. So was that sort of written as an album or was that something that you sort of wrote as a, so- uh, a sort of bunch of songs that were then sort of conglomerated together? Or how did you sort of go about, I suppose, engineering the album as a whole in, in terms of the song's relationship to each other that way? Yeah, sure. So I guess you wouldn't have just called it an album. It's probably a mini album. It was sure. more of an EP, but there's, I guess, enough tracks on there. You could call it an album, right? But... Especially when your music doesn't have lyrics, it's cool thing for me to do like a concept. Mm. And I love, I've always loved concept albums, you know, based around some idea and it's been really embellished. Yeah. And so Echoes of a Hidden Silence, you know, especially that label that I released on Chameleon, their yeah. actual label was based on a concept itself. So each release, you know, had like a... a really amazing photograph taken by this um, guy who travels around the world and it's mixed with these tracks which sort of tell a story each release I always thought the music really fits well with that picture and my mind would always wonder and and dream up things when I looked at it and then uh, the third part of this concept series was that um, this writer, Robbie Byrne, who's a local guy in Melbourne, he actually wrote a story based on that EP once the artwork and the music was finished. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, you've got this, you know, it's this holistic piece of art. It's not just the music. You've got the, the visual thing. You've got the, the thing to listen to and also something to think about as well. 
Um, and yeah, I, re- I really like the idea of concepts because you can explore like theories or polit- uh, political ideas or, you know, all sorts of, you know, whatever you can think of really. Yeah. And how do, how do collaborations come about? Because like you've collaborated with some people who haven't even necessarily sort of been in Australia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so how does that sort of happen? And even in, in terms of just kind of the, the pragmatics of, of how do you, I suppose, kind of connect yourself with someone to be able to kind of create a song, which is in many ways kind of an intimate experience, I suppose, with someone to be able yeah, to, I definitely. suppose, get on that kind of deep level with them. So how do you do that when you're so sort of geographically separated at times? Yeah, well, the internet helps big yeah, time, I'll tell sure, you that. Yeah. <laughs> but like, is but, it literally sort of much as sort of Skyping and sort of talking through it? Or is it very much kind of, oh, check out this bit of music, what do you think about this? And then they sort of maybe put their kind of take on it and evolve it a little bit from there and it sort of goes back and forth. Yeah, totally, totally. And, you know, like, I guess, you know, I lived in Berlin about five years ago and when I moved over there, I'd never been to Europe before and so I made a real effort to um, connect with people in the music industry and just by chance to a friend, um, I met this guy, Ray, who I've collaborated with a little bit and he's now one of my closest friends. Mm. And we chat every day on Messenger and FaceTime. We often chat, um, you know, always check in with each other. But I guess it came from we hung out. We realized we had really similar interests. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine writing music with someone who I didn't really get along well with. You know, sure. you've got to have that like level of banter and sim- shared interests. You know, it's almost a bit like, you know, being in a relationship <laughs> if, 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 if you don't have that chemistry. I think it'd be really hard to write or make art together, you know? So Ray and I have done a few tracks um, and it's been times where I've been in Germany or whether he's visiting here and we'll get up in the studio and and just sit down and, you know, we'll start noodling with the equipment and eventually something will sort of come out of it and we'll be laughing our asses off. And, (laughs) you know, we also share like a interest in food and he's uh, of a Japanese background and so I'm always interested in what he's cooking and you know so we've got this like real bonding thing happening and that just spills over into the music so we don't have to be in the same country often you know I might you know write a little sketch of a, a track and I'll flick it over to him and you know the fact that internet can do that so well and so quickly and you know a couple of days later he's got my project been working on it He'll send it back and he'll go, why don't you add some more to this? And it's like a really cool liquid process where it evolves from, you know, just, you know, eating some food to, you know, we finished some tracks. And yeah, we ended up um, starting this project called Ritus and uh, it's a German word for ritual. And so the word ritual is basically because we have these shared rituals that we enjoy doing together, you know, so... Yeah, I hope we write much more music together because it's uh, it's fun being able to you know share your passion with someone else who's just as passionate as you are. For yeah. sure, yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, tell us a little bit about Berlin. What was that like? Because Berlin's obviously sort of very famous for its sort of underground music scene. Yeah. I'm very interested in, in what one that was like. Yeah, so I guess I'd never been to Europe, uh, as I'd said earlier, and and I was like, well, if I'm going to go and you know, spend some time overseas by myself for a while. Let's go somewhere that, you know, there's access to what I'm passionate about. And I'd heard that, you know, Germany was a big techno culture. 
In fact, I actually just read, I think it was yesterday or today, uh, something on the internet about how research uh, has showed from statistics last year that Berlin's economy is contributed by 1.5 billion euros a year from the dance music scene. So wow. it's basically what powers that city, right? It's almost hard to call it underground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and it, it barely is these days. Yeah. You know what? You know, I guess because it's such a smaller scene here in Australia, we don't see it as much as if you go to Europe. Sure. And it's the same in um, countries like uh, the Netherlands. You know, um, Rotterdam and Amsterdam are really big sort of dance music nodes in Europe but yeah it's just much more accepted overseas in the mainstream culture and Berlin's really interesting because they've had such a immense um, events happen you know over the last hundred years yeah. and the Berlin Wall coming down was something that I found super super interesting when I went over there mm -hmm. because that's sort of what shaped the city and how people get along in life you know like it's been this melting pot of um you know when the war came down you had eastern and western society um sort of hitting heads with each other and and it really made life hard for those who lived in the city and then when the war came down all these people took to techno because it was this art form where they could express each other and uh, express their feelings and and that's sort of what that city's built on you know yeah, and so exactly. going yeah. there you know that it's it's a relatively cheap city like as an artist it doesn't cost much to um to pay your rent there you can live off being a musician really because rent's cheap food's cheap um the transport's really good there there's always a place to play a gig um even though it's probably a little more competitive now but yeah, I just found it such a crazy, fascinating city. Yeah, and yeah, you touched on it a bit there. But yeah, like I saw it. Like I'm fascinated by Berlin myself. And yeah. do you sort of see when when you went there? Did you sort of I suppose still see kind of remnants of, for example, the cultural difference that you spoke about there in terms of the east and the west? It is as we've been speaking about that kind of ultimate kind of unifier and that uh, that common language sort of thing. But yeah, how did you? Or how I suppose do you find that? Yeah, I suppose the, the cultural differences in the East and the West have sort of manifested in their music that way, or is it very much been that, that maybe that's one of the reasons that I suppose music's done so well in Berlin is because it has been able to literally put sort of people on, but sort of it is really able to sort of unite people in that way. Yeah, sure. So I guess it's hard because, you know, you had like this communist Soviet Russia influence on one side and then you had you know the western you know like the american influence coming from the other side right and when it all came down all that sort of disappeared and berlin really became like a city that not like anywhere else in germany it's not typical german right so you can go to munich or even you know just an hour away from berlin and you're like well this is this is much much different to, mm. to berlin and it's that arts culture that's left it a pretty loose living country, you know, like it's a lot of free spirit and especially in the clubbing scene, clubbing scene's got a lot of hedonistic culture. And so, you know, you get this real different perspective and even the local authorities turn their eye, at, you know, they turn their cheek a little bit and, and sorry, it's probably not the right term, but I guess they're not as harsh on some things 
because they understand the importance of that clubbing culture to the city, not just culturally, but economically. And so, you know, I guess there's a lot more freedom in that city just because they say, well, people want to party, this is how it's going to be, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so how does that, I suppose, compare to, say, Melbourne, for example, where a much kind of smaller kind of industry than, than over there in our in Europe, for example, but uh, but obviously, you know, you sort of you head out, sort of some of the kind of night spots around Melbourne, there's yep, potentially yep. some of that same sort of hedonistic culture. As we've sort of been speaking about, it is such a sort of, like it's such a, le- a legitimate pursuit and it is such a sort of, yeah, well, it is so legitimate in that way. So I suppose, what, what are your thoughts and I suppose, what do you think kind of philosophically about that in the sense of not wanting to sort of perpetuate something that is or is sort of dangerous or is sort of destructive for people. But at the same time, as you say, like, it is very important for people to at least sort of connect with something. And I think particularly is sort of, like I sort of never grew up with religion or anything, but the fact that we don't sort of have necessarily kind of common religious practices in our society, it is almost, I think, important for people to kind of connect on that sort of higher level. And I think obviously, yeah, music and, and sort of dancing is one way that you do that. So, yeah. yeah, how do you sort of balance that? I find that that comment you made about religion and spirituality, I find that really interesting because I've had this conversation with uh, with a friend of mine in the scene before and we're sort of talking about how a lot of people who are in the dance music scene are often atheists mm-hmm. or... You know, or, really or I think the yeah. term's agnostic, right? Yeah. Where, where yeah. you know, they're not neither here nor there, right? But I think the thing with dance music is it's people trying to find a spiritual connection. Yeah. And especially people who aren't exposed to the scene, you know, clubbing and festival culture, they don't understand that it's not just about what we see in the media. Mm. Of course, there's drugs in dance music and I'm not going to hide and say there isn't, you know, but there's drugs everywhere in society and, you know, there's people from all walks of life who make choices with what they consume and I don't think drugs is a core part of dance music. What dance music provides is a way for people to connect in an environment and they're not just, it's not as superficial, like there's no barriers to who you are and aren't. So in dance music, like you'll have, you know, everyone from very sort of middle class people through to upper class, lower class, you'll have people from all walks of life and ages, you might have students, you might have lawyers, engineers, people who have really high performance jobs and they want to come to these parties and try and escape that and just connect with other people. And, you know, I see the most amazing conversations going on in clubs between people about philosophy and about, you know, spirituality and about what's going on in our city or our country or around the world and people are having this genuine connection and actually... You know, it's not just a heap of people whacked out on drugs dancing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there is an element of that. And, you know, I guess it comes down to being educated and, you know, I don't condone that either. I think, you know, people are able to make their own choices, whether they're 
you know, being safe or not is another one, uh, another thing. But I think it's very dismissed as a culture because people see in the media, they go, oh, you know, people died at this dance music event. Yeah, good um, old Gladys Berejiklian's not, not yeah, done a whole exactly. lot of favours recently. You know, and it's really hard because there's so many people that put in so much work in this industry and, you know, in one news report... It just yeah. gets completely canned by people who don't understand enough about the nature of the beast. And so, yeah, I think it's a, a spiritually important thing for especially young people, you know, who you can get a lot of people that come into dance music who are from maybe they're having a hard time in life as well. Or, you know, maybe they're dealing with some sort of you know, mental problems, you know, there's a lot of people who you meet who have, you know, got, they're going through the, you know, problems or going through, you know, anxiety or depression or, you know, all sorts of things. And they find that in this environment, they aren't judged for who they are and they can just connect with other people. And when you're in that environment, there's a lot more forgivingness. And yeah, I really love that. I think it's a positive thing that People, lifts people up yeah well I imagine one way that that in, in terms of talking about sort of how the sort of industry itself kind of transcends just just drugs really um, would be so I suppose a connection that you have with your audience during a gig if it was everyone was just sort of whacked out sort of on their head and not sort of making any connection to sort of the music and the artist I imagine you'd really sort of pick up on that on stage sort of thing. And so, yeah, can you sort of give us a bit of an idea about, I suppose, the nature of that relationship between your audience and yourself? Uh, I imagine, as we've been talking about, there is almost a bit of a transpersonal connection that goes on that way because, yeah, because it is tapping into something sort of higher than that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's probably why I love performing because you are connecting with whether it's 50, 100, 1,000, 10,000, depends on, you know, your audience at the time. But all these people in one split second are all feeling that same vibe that's going around the room. Yeah. And it's through that traveling of the music and the dancing. And, yeah, I just find it so fascinating, you know, because that's what gives me that real kick to keep doing it. You know, I love... You know, you have these moments where you've reached these little peaks of, you know, everyone's just, you know, really joyous and celebrating together. And it breaks it down to the, you know, the absolute common denominator of the group, you know, like there's, that's why it's sort of unlike going to like a rock concert where, you know, people are singing along to that song, like everyone is on the same page in electronic music and so that feeling resonates through the whole room and that's when you really reach those moments where you're like I'm tapping into something here that's important you know Absolutely. so I think connection's important in society and living in the internet age where you know we connect through like Facebook and Instagram and stuff and it's a bit more superficial I think we're losing that connection a bit mm. and people tend to isolate themselves more so I think that's a really important thing to, you know, as a bit of a counterculture to that, to that way of being isolated. Yeah. And so as we speak about sort of, yeah, music in that context, it is in many ways sort of a collectivist experience. Yeah. Uh, 
in that way, a sort of thing. But imagine as you, you're writing music, that's potentially a very individual experience and that you're wanting to sort of convey sort of something sort of within, within you that's potentially sort of quite personal to you. Or I suppose how, when you're writing music, do you balance that sort of idea of it, it, it being a collectivist experience that you're going to experience with other people around you, but it's, but it's your song and it's your sort of uh, way, it's your platform to sort of convey whatever message that you want to convey at that time. Do you sort of think, you know, like this is, uh, this is going to be a great track that I'll enjoy with other people or is it very much more like I'm, I'm sort of making this music for me and people will either sort of come along for the ride or not that way? Yeah, it's complicated, I guess, but when I'm writing, it's always, I guess, what I'm trying to, I'm trying to be truest to my feelings at the time. So I'm not thinking about other people, but I guess it's always nice when you go from writing in your studio alone in solitude and then you go and test your tracks out in the clubs or at a festival or whatever, and you're able to share like these really private moments because, you know, you you're expressing emotions and sometimes you know it might be like I've written this track because I've just been almost you know beside myself depressed about something or I'm sad about something or I'm super happy and I'm just feeling like I want to celebrate and you know get that out of me and and so when you go like into an environment where you can share it with heaps of people it's really like it's it's almost nerve-wracking because you're like how am I going to be perceived by these other people? Because it's, you know, it's like being naked, you know, people, they're seeing like this little core part of you, you know? And the best feeling is uh, when you get out there and you get a completely unexpected reaction and there's a few whistles going on and people (laughs) are really digging it. And for me, that's the best feeling because you're like, you feel a bit accepted for who you are. Mm. And yeah, and people vibe off that. And I just think that's, uh, it's an awesome thing. And, and, and you've gone from isolation to group sharing, yeah. And does the song sort of change through that experience in terms of, you say often you get sort of reactions that you weren't necessarily expecting from, from say, like the audience and that sort of thing. So I suppose talk me through the process of writing and then releasing a song in the sense of, uh, are there, for example, songs that you haven't necessarily released that I suppose would you then sort of treat them differently because they are more they're more individual product in that way yeah yeah so some of the tracks i don't release or i don't send out because maybe it's a bit too personal yeah okay and i'm like this one's just for me you know or maybe it just doesn't suit a clubbing environment you know not everything i write is for for kick drum you know it might be like a beatless track you know and so sometimes I'm like well it doesn't really suit a clubbing environment but maybe like a sitting at home environment and so usually I keep those ones for myself sometimes I'll add them on to like one of my releases as like a b-side or something yeah that's (laughs) I'm sort of trailing off on that one I suppose yeah one of sort of starting to like wind down here a little bit but uh if you were looking to sort of give some advice to sort of someone who uh who was potentially say they, they wanted to pursue something in the music industry they might have a whole range of interests in terms of genres that way they might not necessarily even find themselves kind of in, in techno or even sort of interested in techno but i suppose having come through a musical background and sort of found yourself where you're at, where you are now um, yeah, well, what, what would some advice be that you'd give to someone who, who was to make a sort of similar pursuit? Mm. The one thing I would say about it is just work hard and make, 
take every little opportunity you can and don't worry about the money because if you're good at something and you work hard at it eventually you'll make money from it yeah i think that's the biggest thing that i wish someone had told me when i was starting out in you know music was you know believe in yourself and work hard and eventually you know the numbers say that you will be able to pursue it yeah so if we were to say finish off and and say play out one of your tracks to sort of finish off the podcast, which one would you choose? You know what? It's actually my first release, and it's this track called Thylacine. And Thylacine is the scientific name for Tasmanian tiger. And so I thought that it'd be, you know, maybe that's a fitting one because it's where I started off. And I still look back and I go, I'm so glad I did that. And yeah, it's, it speaks to who I am and where I'm from, you know, an Australian producer and that's just a little bit of personal expression that I, you know, it was the first time I got something out there. And so um, hopefully that'll inspire someone else to get out and do what they love doing. Yeah. Eddie, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on today. I've really enjoyed the chat. Thanks, Ron. It's been great. Thank you. I got a lot out of my chat with Eddie and I hope you did too. I'd like to thank James Warner for producing today's episode. I'll put up all of Eddie's links on Facebook, so please check that out. Now please enjoy Thylacine by Eddie Hale.